I can't believe you put that on the internet. It's my intention that everyone who plays golf sees that picture of Hannah's face. <laughs> there's like there is this actually the subject of some sort of rom com where a girl's life's ruined because she becomes a meme. It's called Rob Went Wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like a serious thing about the modern malaise. I feel like that could be a title for this testing week. <laughs> what went wrong? What went wrong? <laughs> Many things so far and it's only Wednesday morning. Yeah, but then you decided you wanted to. No, I said I was going to, quote, kick it along. You're joining us live from day three of our equipment testing for the new launch season. I'm with part of the NCG review team, Jack Backhouse, in-house PJ Pro. Hello. <laughs> Tom Irwin, in-house, we're not really sure yet. I've got many roles. Jack of all trades, aren't I? Fairway would review Exactly, Fairway would expert. <laughs> and uh, me, Hannah Holden, head of equipment, trying to rein these two in in Portugal, which is interesting. Yeah, rain being the operative word, right? <laughs> there has been a lot of waterworks uh, from the sky and from the team, I would say. <laughs> I have nearly been in tears about three times. So we're we're here trying to um, trying to test this ridiculous amount of new kit that's coming out in January. There's only about seventy six golf clubs. Do we have actually have a, actually have a specific number? No, some are kind of mid air. Hopefully, with UPS en route here. Yeah. Some are stuck in a snowed in warehouse in England, and some have somehow made it here with me and Jack trying to get about six sets of golf clubs into four flight bags. But we think we've got somewhere in the region of 70 or 80 individual products to test ahead of a load of launches in January. Correct. So there's as many as eight different brands launching products in January and February, we think, or we know. I'm nodding, which is not very useful on a podcast. You could check the spreadsheet, couldn't you, to establish the specific numbers? I think it was 76 last time I checked. Yeah. Uh, and this process goes on for an awful long time. So you've been um, you've been on several press trips already as a sort of preamble to this trip to find out about the tech. I've been on a lot of aeroplanes in the last few weeks, yes. Probably more than I've been on in the rest of my life combined. So we're now sort of second week of December, but for you, you've been sort of living the launch cycle since early October. When was the first one? I know when it was because my birthday was during the trip. <laughs> 16th of October we started. Right. Well, I started. Where was that? Sotto Grande. Oh, yeah. No rain. Sunny. Excellent venue. With Ryan Fox. Oh, yeah. That was the Ryan Fox trip. Yeah, Strixon. Right. Incidentally, who are snowed in in England now. Yes. But you've hit their stuff. So that was one, that was middle of October. Then where'd you go next? Then where did I go next? I went back to Spain with Cobra nice same place one flight cancellation and uh, was this like the week ne- the week later yes right and this was the one La Finca this was the one where you got stuck somewhere or something something went wrong didn't it yeah well I got up at 4am for my flight only to find out it had been cancelled then I had to ring Cobra up who were already in Spain and wake them up at 4 o'clock and say my flight's been cancelled <laughs> And then just kind of drive around trying to find an airport that we could fly from. Well, you rang the PR at four o'clock in the morning? Yeah. Right. Sean or someone, Sean Lloyd. It was Sam, actually. Sam. I think he's kind of scarred for life because he's basically just joined the team. Right. Had to organise this trip, had never met any of the PRs before. And four of us were on this fire that was cancelled. It's just perfectly normal that you're getting phone calls from journalists in the middle of the night. You get used to it. It's very standard <laughs> golf industry. <laughs> behaviour. Where were you when you were ringing him? At the airport? Yeah, I stayed in a hotel at Gatwick. Right. Ended up having to drive to Luton. Second flight was also delayed. Finally got to Spain. They'd obviously all been for a meal, had drinks, 
had a nice evening with you and Ferguson. And they were like, do you want to come meet everyone? And I was like, no, <laughs> I've been travelling for 24 hours. Oh, and I got to bed and they had to go around the room and hug everyone. Ugh. I was like, don't let me do this. Anyway, the rest of the trip was lovely. Right. Where was that? The manga? No. Lafinca. Lafinca. Right. So that's two sort of European short haul destinations. Ticked mm-hmm. off. Two brands down. What's next? Then we got the long haul flights. Yeah. When we decided to go to Dubai twice with like eight days in the middle, which in hindsight was a bit ridiculous. Yeah. That is daft. And the, the first trip I didn't even take my golf clubs because at this point I'd been on so many flights and they said, do you want to hire set? And I just thought... The thought of walking through an airport without a golf bag was just amazing. I really hope Greta Thunberg doesn't listen to this. <laughs> I have actually had this argument with, uh, I can't remember who it was, a few years ago. It's like, what is the point in all these press trips? Like, people literally flying around the world to hit new golf products. But they actually do weeks like this, and you realise that actually maybe it is the right way to do it. I think, well, so most brands will fly in part of the R&D team. So you're actually getting to like, interview and talk to people who have designed the clubs. And it is really interesting. It comes a lot across a lot better and you just understand the project like the product in more depth than if you would just get like a double sided yeah. like PDF. Yeah. Um and I the- think like the enthusiasm those those people bring to the product because they've been working on it for so long. There's so much stuff that you don't see just like how long they've been working on things. So you kind of you think that the value in those trips is sort of from the horse's mouth. You kind of get in to understand intimately what the difference is between this product and the product's gone before the yeah. research has gone into it. And also, I think it just kicks up loads of other stories and things to explore for the year. That's not necessarily just the product review because there's like so many interesting stuff that you wouldn't even know about that goes on like behind behind the scenes and like how people develop the products, like how many people even work on it, how long ago they started working on this. Like last year with the stealth, like some of the stuff in that club face, they started designing like 20 years ago, but they had no way to like manufacture it on scale. I think like the first product they designed would have cost like a grand and a half to make a drive, which obviously is not possible. Is that true of a lot of it then? A lot of it exists in prototype for a long time. They're just trying to find a way to make it scalable from a manufacturing point of view. Yeah, and sometimes they'll create, like, materials or certain parts of the club head, but they have nowhere to, like, integrate with the rest of the stuff yet until, like, something else develops. So I think people, you see a lot of consumers saying, oh, are they holding something back, like, to make next year's a bit better? And, like, yes and no, because they have stuff that's new and developed, but they can't make it work yet. Yeah, so you're, I guess, these six-star restaurants in Dubai, they need custom, don't they? Otherwise, you know, they do bad business. (laughs) But there is, there is there is some sort of efficiency, basically, of getting all of the tech specialists, all of the new gear in one place. There's journalists from around the world, presumably, on those Dubai trips. Yeah. That's the sort of global launch, I guess, press launch. Mm-hmm. And you also get some player time, some play time in tour players who might have endorsed it or worked on the R&D. Yeah, we've had some player time in some. It a little bit depends on the season, who's playing what when. I think um, Callaway were hoping to get quite a lot of players, but there was a pro-am um, in Abu Dhabi, so that didn't happen. But yeah. So you've been. So we've had two near European trips. We've then had a Dubai and an Abu Dhabi trip, basically back to back. In the middle, we had a Wilson trip. Oh yeah. Where did they which go? Which was actually nice because it was Birkdale and Formby, so it was just like forty minutes from my house. And you got locked out of your room. <laughs> I didn't get locked out of my room. I kind of got locked in a room that wouldn't lock, if that's even possible. Mm. Got like a raging headache, decided to go to the car, but I didn't want to walk all the way out, down through reception and out again in my pyjamas. So I just went out the patio window. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, my car was right opposite my window. I somehow couldn't get the door to shut on my return. And then at some point in the night, there was kind of a gale force storm and sideways rain that just decided to uh, appear in my room. And I was just kind of trying to barricade the door with more stuff like armchairs, suitcases. And the wind was so strong, it was blowing the doors up and blowing them across the bedroom. 
Yeah. So I don't know what the cleaners thought when they arrived the next day. It's just kind of a lake in the room. There is a sort of art to hotel living, though, isn't there? It's like a nightmare. I can never get all the lights to switch off. You can never work the TV. It's like, it's tricky. It's tricky. So you know, the worst thing was just how much washing I had to do when I got back from five weeks on the road. Yeah, but you've, now you know my top tip for uh, laundry. <laughs> you use the hotel's laundry bag. Very efficient when you get home. Hannah had seven weeks of laundry bags just stacked up in her room after yeah. all that travel. It was quite traumatic. I don't know how tall pros do it all the time, like just travelling somewhere every week and then being ready to play. Because mm. like, I was knackered. Presumably yeah. they have somebody else do it for them. This is the sort well, of thing... Well, no. I asked Ryan Fox this. He was like, oh, you just get used to it. And I was thinking, well, I can keep doing it. I'm not getting any more used to it. When does the get used to it bit kick in? But I think it's... it's, it's like, I mean... We're a bit sort of like middle class problems here, aren't we? But <laughs> the, yes. The uh, like people do think, oh, it must be amazing to travel so much with your work. But you've been away effectively six consecutive weeks. This is, I think this is your seventh week out of about eight or nine the way you've travelled. Yeah. Uh, and that is difficult to sustain, isn't it? Like, how do you get into any sort of routine at home? Like hotel breakfasts are all well and good, but they're sort of. Yeah, you're not really in control of what you're doing, are you? I've like, eaten a lot of chocolate croissants. Yeah. It's that sort of thing, but I mean, it's like there's a, a lot of work that goes into it. Um, so you've had fe- effectively an autumn's worth of travelling around, going to the press launches, learning about all the gear, seeing it for the first time, hitting it for the first time. Um, pretty amazing experience. And then this year we've decided that we're going to try and have this testing week, which we're now in the middle of, um, because all these launches happen uh, in January, February, um, and it's England's under snow at the moment, so it's pretty difficult to test uh, golf equipment in the snow, and it's not especially pleasant trying to test golf equipment when it's freezing temperatures. Plus the stuff doesn't perform, plus you've got to wear too many layers. So we thought, right, we'll go out to Portugal for the week. Weather will be warmer, it'll be the most efficient way of doing it. But even that, there's a huge logistical challenge that you've been at the centre of trying to arrange for us to get out here. Yeah, well, I think the first thing is when you're testing, you're trying to do everything like as consistently and like across the board. It's like, what if I test tailor-made one day and it's five degrees and it's straight downwind on the range and I hit it 250, but then the next day I'm testing Callaway and it's minus two and we're straight into the wind. Yeah. So like having some sort of consistency where you can test everything in the same conditions and also it's actually like normal weather. I mean, I don't. I think that is sort of lost actually on the output of this stuff. And I haven't been involved in loads of these trips or product testing before. But you do feel a massive responsibility to get it right. Like you've just explained that some of the brands, have, their stuff's been in development for 20 years. Uh, and then we're trying to test it and you do feel like you, you want to do a proper job like people have spent a lot of money on research and development there's a lot that's invested in it in terms of time and it's people's passion you want to get it right don't you yeah but also then people are coming to read our reviews to find out if they're going to purchase something or not so it should be like a fair review of how the product performs and it shouldn't be oh well this one's done really well because i've hit it in a great weather yeah. i've hit this one in dubai and i've hit this one in manchester yeah well, which one do you think is going to perform better? It was 40 degrees in Dubai yeah. and dead flat calm and it was blowing a hula at Birkdale. So there needs to be some level of consistency somewhere. And there also needs to be some level of, well, I was swinging it good this day, but I was swinging it bad this day. So how does it perform on each? Yeah. So I guess it's golf equipment, it's a bit of fun, it's a game, but there is some element of it has to be done in a responsible fashion because it's people's jobs and it's people's money that are buying it at the end of the day. So we're here trying to do it responsibly. Uh, and that's a lot of work, right? Well, even just the logistics of getting the golf clubs here. Yeah. <laughs> when you're looking at a spreadsheet of 76 golf clubs and then you remember you've got like multiple shaft options because there's certain club heads I'm going to film with, Jack's going to write about, you lot weirdly use extra stiff shafts and I don't. Well, for some reason I tried to hit hybrid with an 85 gram extra stiff shaft yesterday without realising, which was an interesting experience. When I turned up at Hannah's house to collect these golf clubs and put, take them to the airport, I was overwhelmed and nervous <laughs> because like, the way it filled up my car, it was ridiculous. Well, yeah, yeah, we've all seen the pictures on social media, but I think like, it's a point worth making. Like The variables are ridiculous. So there's three of us here 
trying to hit product. Mm. We've all got small hands, we've established. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we've all got different swing speeds. Uh, we all launch the ball differently, so we've all got different loft requirements. Um, there's already, it's multiple iterations of quite a lot of the drivers and fairways that are based on people's individual, um, uh, what's the word? Perf- requirements. Requirements, that'll do, yeah. Um, so there's an awful lot of variables. So you're bringing an awful lot of stuff with you in order to be able to accommodate those variables when you're actually hitting the product. Can confirm we've only snapped one shaft so far. It, we, well, I'm glad you've taken a group responsibility. <laughs> Tom <for that>. has <laughs> snapped one shaft so far. We're not really sure how it happened. No, it's just because I'm so powerful. I, think. I mean, the three-wood head flung off as it snapped, nearly took Jack's left eye out. Yeah, it was dangerous. So we've so we basically flown out here with... Uh, was it six flight bags, five flight bags? Four flight bags. Four flight bags stuffed full of golf equipment. We haven't brought any of our own. 200 Pro V1s. 200 Pro V1s. A lot of camera equipment. A lot of camera equipment that got delayed along with the videographer. <laughs> um, and we're here. So we're in um, Portugal uh, in Obidos, uh, Praia del Rey and Westcliffs golf courses. Um, we were very kindly allowed to go and use Royal Obidos yesterday because they've got a shed so we could get some shots from the rain um, and the Marriott at Prail de Rey are putting us up for the week which has been great um, so we've got base we've got lots of golf courses to use it's out of season um, so there's not really many people here so we've kind of got the run of um, two golf courses and their practice facilities uh, amazing bit of coastline we've been for a run along the cliff tops yeah it was amazing um, so it's a great spot to be doing it um, 90% of the stuff's arrived. 90% is it? I feel like it's going down by day. Yeah, it's probably not quite 90%. I'm slightly concerned some of the clubs that are being shipped to Portugal look like they're arriving in a random person's house around the corner. But uh, There's a lot of things against us. Snow in England, rain here, flight delays, all the problems with travel at the moment. Uh, but we're doing it, we're here, and we've got two launch monitors, we've got a track man, and we've got a flight scope. So we'll be able to get some data... Um, and I think that's probably worth getting into like how we're doing it so like what is the what is the sort of schedule of our week how we how we going about testing this kit I think there's like a big discussion point just on what is the most efficient way to test kit I think a lot of people have this big argument that you should just do it indoor in a swing room because there's like no variables that affect things and it would be fair doing it that way you've got perfect conditions Mm. but I personally think like when do you ever play golf like that you don't like the whole point of golf is like the outdoor elements that are affecting you and also i don't really like that element of like swing room square box it completely changes like how you align how you swing so actually the performance of something that happens indoor in a square room is completely different to how you use it on the golf course and like how often do you see that in a fitting like someone goes to an indoor fitting hits something amazing, takes it on the course and they can't hit it. Mm. Well, one, you're probably a lot warmer than you normally are because the room's heated up. Two, you're aiming completely different and then you just swing different. So that's why we're out on the golf course getting wet. See, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I thought you thought the opposite, so I'm surprised you said that. But I massively think that, that surely the whole point is that a brand has robot tested stuff within an inch of its life, can produce numbers that will tell you that this product is better than last year's or this product's better than another one and we'll be able to give you some data about what the, what it looks like in optimal conditions. Mm. Surely where we're bringing value to the process is to say this is what it's like when a human uses it. Um, and this particular human often has a bad back, takes a long time to get warmed up, I pulled my calf yesterday morning, I don't like playing golf in the rain, uh, I do like a low ball fight. Um, so I think that all of that stuff sort of feeds into it because that's how people are. And like when they pick the product to use it for their weekly game of golf, their back's not going to feel great. It's probably going to be raining. Jack, you must have some experience of this from teaching and stuff people turn up with. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can sort of see both sides of the argument, really. I, I like the idea of everything being very fair um, and doing it in a room definitely gives you that. But I know in a room, personally, I can jump out of my skin to get all sorts of manipulate the data um, where certainly when I'm out on the grass in the rain I, I'm a totally different human to what I am inside um, and I think you're right about the robots have tested it so why shouldn't we should now test it and 
give some slightly different feedback. But that does sort of, like you say, you want a low ball flight, so anything that launches it high, you might not like. So there might be a bit of bias in there as well. So I don't think it's a black and white argument either way. No, but that, as long as that bias is stated. Yeah. Um, and like the, the point about how you swing in an indoor studio is different from how you swing on a range, different from how you swing on a golf course. Like I went out and played two or three holes on my own yesterday and hit some drivers and fairway woods. And I definitely wasn't swinging it as quick as I was when we stood on the grass tee with a launch monitor because when you've got a launch monitor, my priority is what's my ball speed, what's my club head speed. Yeah. When I'm on a golf course, my priority is, is it in the fairway? Yeah. I'm sure there was one phase where your priority was, am I not going to top this? Yeah, that's not. <laughs> that's, not for, that's not for public ears, is it? Yeah. It's not a great way to start topping it, is it? Definitely not. Although some of the kit did perform really well on those tops. On the soul strikes gave the ball speed. Strikes, yeah. Some of that adjustability really comes into its own. Yeah. Um, so that's into the, if we get into the detail of how we've actually been doing it then. So we have gone through a sort of data gathering exercise. That's what the last couple of days has been mainly about. Mm-hmm. And we tried to assign products in like categories to what people would use so there's no point someone hitting a low spinning driver if they already spin it really low because obviously that's that club's not going to perform well hence why we've got like three golfers of different abilities who hit different things well so that's like consistently through the team we've always tried to put people in categories so some people are doing fairway woods some people are doing hybrids some people's doing players irons so there's a kind of consistency across the board of people testing different elements and different like areas and how have we been dealing with mishits? Depends how bad the mishit was. Sometimes they get deleted like it never happened, and other times it's worth noting that the tech might actually work and your miss it sort of perform all right. Yeah, so if someone if if you top it, that's I mean that's not the club's fault, is it? And the club ultimately cannot perform from there. Okay. If you hit it a bit off the bottom of the face or a bit off the toe and the heel, then you know, how does the club perform from that? I think it's almost like you're taking away Really, you should take away the worst and the best 10%, shouldn't you? Yeah. Because they're kind of the biggest anomalies, and you should use, like, the middle 80-ish percent because you're not going to absolutely pure it every time. And also, like, it's not... If you shank it, that's not shouldn't really affect the club's performance because you've shanked it. <laughs> yeah. Although uh, Cleveland did have the Cleveland Vass irons with no hosel, didn't they? Remember those? So yeah. we could include shanks if we were testing that. We could. Well, there wouldn't be any. There wouldn't be any. Uh, <laughs> they were shankless. That's amazing. They must have looked terrible. You're about a good inch and a half away from a shank anyway, so I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, the toe's more in danger for me. <laughs> if I shank it, it's come off the end of the toe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that that, day, that what you do about mishitting it, because like we've all laughed at uh, YouTubers who literally can't hit the ball, and like, what is the value in their testing? And equally, people say, well, what is the point in me looking at a... A professional golfer testing golf equipment. I'm not a professional golfer. I don't hit the middle of the face. And I think there's sort of validity in both of those things. Like I found yesterday that I was probably more interested in what was happening when I was towing it, mm-hmm. or what was happening when I was necking it. Like, is it spinning up up my nose when I neck it? Is it properly um, duck hooking when I hit it out of the toe, never to be seen again, or is it correcting that error? Um, so I think that is a big part of me is off off center strikes because there are so many off center strikes um i think the good thing about having three people is we've got three different swing speeds as well like sometimes some speeds are so fast that it's not relatable to some people and like although i'm a good golfer i have a swing speed that's very relatable to a lot of club golfers so that's very helpful to them yeah yeah but i think there's there is often i I do get that response on youtube a lot if i'm testing game improvement eyes well why didn't you get someone who uses a game improvement iron to test these? But actually, I think if you've got a better player testing them, you're actually able to identify, like, was that good shot because of me or the golf club? Yeah. And I think that's a really good starting base for how does this club perform? And then later down the line, you go in and bring in maybe higher handicap golfers and then you see how it performs for them. But a lot of times, that golfer might not be able to identify if that shot was good because what they did or because of what the club was adding to the shot. Yeah, and I think that is, like, on the game improvement stuff, you are not swinging your six iron at 95 miles an hour out of the middle every time. No. Um, so you are able to get the feedback from a slower swing or an off-centre strike, that, and I think that that is obviously valuable. 
it's also worth saying that we've we've done quite a bit of um, tinkering with setups, haven't we? So we've we've had sort of um, conversations with the brands before coming out about trying to get a mixture of shafts that suit our playing abilities. You've been full fittings. We've all know what our specs are. Um, but then when you actually get the club in your hand, you're not sure what the characteristics of that particular head and that particular shaft are going to be. But because of the adjustability, particularly in driver and most of the fairways nowadays, we have been able to mess about with loft and mess about with lie. And that's been really instructive, I think, and helpful to the testing process. So this is an interesting point that people ask a lot. So if I'm testing drivers, they want me to put the same shaft in every single driver and then hit them all because they think that is like a fair baseline. But then you have to think about the different characteristics of the golf club. So if I suddenly get a really low spinning driver, we're going to have really forward CG, like low spin. The shaft that I would put in that to optimise that will be completely different to if I've got a high draw, really forgiving driver, where the CG is back, there's a lot more loft, it's designed to spin more, it's designed to go left. Like Those two extremes of club will just need different shafts in them for them to perform the best. So my philosophy always is, that brand should provide me the shaft and the club head spec that performs the best in that model and that's the best way to test it because um, I don't think you can have one shaft that works in every club and even each even from year to year like ping last year to ping this year like the club heads will be different that's the point they've changed something so they're not the CG's not going to be the same the spin's not going to be the same like the launch not going to be the same so it's going to require a different shaft to last year's model yeah and we're not testing the shaft either that's also worth saying well, we're testing the club. We sort of are testing the shaft. Yeah, but we're testing the overall thing, aren't we? Yeah. We're not. We're not trying. I to think say... Ping's a great example because, like, the model I've got this year and last year has one of Ping's own shafts in it, and they have also upgraded the shaft. So, like, everything as they've tried to improve. So, actually, testing both models in last year's shaft or this year's shaft isn't fair because you couldn't buy each of those heads with the other shaft. Yeah. So that, that data collection process takes a long time, doesn't it? Like, we, yes. I was sort of, I think in my head, I sort of envisaged, right, we need to get a dozen good shots that we're going to display in our written reviews, and that's going to be the data that we get. And I was thinking a dozen decent shots is going to take me... A dozen balls. A dozen balls, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it really doesn't work like that, does it? Well, no. I, I think what, certainly with your fairway woods, is you might hit eight good shots... We look at the data and go, actually, you might prefer a bit more loft here. And then you'd have to hit another eight good shots because there's no point comparing at the wrong setting to the right setting. Yeah. And the other the other variable that we've got is golf balls, isn't it? So that's been a challenge as well because we've used Titleist Pro V1s for all of the testing. So there's um, so it's fair and we're getting optimal performance. from. But as you could imagine, there was a limited amount of Pro V1s we could get on a flight. Yeah with weight allowances so we spent a lot of time <laughs> running up and down a driving range picking, picking balls. golf balls up avoiding other people trying to hit us with golf balls yeah and, uh, but i think that's so important like i think that's such a big like oversight of fitting like especially in the uk like everyone is so obsessed with deer and they're fine-tuning their spin and their launch and all this and they're doing it with a range ball that has the completely different spin characteristics what they're going to use on the golf course mm. like it is the worst the worst part of fitting like I would not put a club in my bag that I'd been fitted for with a range ball because it's just not going to be right. No. Like, they're just... It, it, we're massively failing people on fitting in the UK, in my opinion, because there is just basically nowhere you can go hit outdoors, off grass, actually see the strike with a proper golf ball. Yeah. So being able to do that in fitting to me is really important because you're actually showing like how something would perform on the golf course. Yeah. I think that's massively valid because the yeah the, the the ball is obviously such a big part of it, and particularly the difference between a premium ball and a range ball, right? Yeah. Um, there's obviously infinite variables in between, but they are like the most extreme examples. Um, so that aspect of it's taken a an awful lot of doing. Um, We're definitely a few golf balls down at this point. We are a lot of golf balls down. Yeah. <laughs> We've struggled to find a range that's long enough. Let's let's be be straight about it. <laughs> Or wide enough or in wide, some cases. Yeah, that, that, the, the range on the first day was definitely too narrow. Have to, and, in, and it was also in a quite significant crosswind. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't all my fault that most of the Pro V ones on the right hand side of the range at Proud <laughs> Hannah did manage to hit the same tree three times with the drive yesterday, which is 40 yards offline. Yeah. 
yeah. We only found one of the balls as well, which was disappointing. Mm, that was quite an impressive dispersion. Yeah. And then it's quite, there are obviously quite a lot of uh, technical challenges, like we've got two large monitors, both of them are like proper premium large monitors, but the weather's not been favourable for technology, it's been cloudy, it's been wet, damp, misly, yeah. uh, and that's difficult for tech, isn't it? So you've got to factor all that into your time, uh, and also it's another variable in it. Jack is now a professional umbrella holder. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time running in and out of shelter with lots of money's worth of tech, and then... <laughs> Crouching down over Hannah's track mile, she beats balls in the rain. <laughs> I was questioning why I have got multiple levels of degree education. I've spent 20 years running businesses and I've got an MBA from Cranfield and I'm squeegeeing a concrete driving wrench <laughs> <laughs> yesterday morning. Yes. That was a low point. I wasn't even squeegeeing it so I could use it, I was squeegeeing it so someone else could use it. <laughs> Yeah, and then I couldn't thing. even hit off there because my feet turned too much. Yeah, they, they provided four comically small mats for us to hit off, which couldn't grip the slippery concrete surface. Luckily the sun came out in the afternoon and normal service resumed. I think you were very close to a serious injury. So so I think that, like, we'll finish talking about the data in a minute, but we the, the point is we're trying to do the data aspect as realistically, but also as thoroughly as possible. Yeah. Like we were talking to a PR from one of the brands last week. He was just sort of up in arms about someone who declared a best putter and they'd watched their testing process and then hit literally hit four putts with it on a putting green and said, that's the best one. Like, you just can't do that, can you? Because, like we said, it's like years and years, decades and decades of R&D investment and testing that's gone into this kit. So who on earth are we to hit four shots and go, that one's unequivocally the best? It's just not how it works. Yeah. So the con- I think the context of all this is really important for the... Um, the consumer is that we're just doing our best here right there's no there's not a perfect way of doing it we're trying to be as thorough as possible we're also trying to be as open as possible and say this is how we did it feel free to pick the holes in it as long as you understand where the holes are then that's fine we're not trying to hide anything yeah you can't nod on a podcast <laughs> you have to make a noise <laughs> and trying to be consistent across everything well by nodding at everything yeah oh consistent across testing. each club right yeah 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 um, so we've got the data, and what we're going to do next? Sit for hours and hours and hours and write about it before the January deadlines. Well, no, no we've got a videographer. Like, at least, oh, at least four steps. So we're going to get on the golf course, aren't we? Yeah. I've done some of this already. Because mm. basically what happened is Tom hogged all the technology at the start of the trip, so now me and Jack are scrambling to hit the rest of the golf clubs. Well, he can do that he's got an MBA. And he's just lo- laundering around the golf clubs now, playing the golf course, relaxing drinking coffees but you, you do you do have to go and use the kit definitely on a golf course oh, absolutely yeah. agree yeah definitely the best the best reviews I think I've done this year are with clubs that I've actually that used for three or four rounds because I've hit all sorts of shots from all different lies in all different kinds of situations and you actually could have something to write about as opposed to hitting 10 balls on the range going yeah that felt alright and then writing a full review about it it's all not fair and that but that range scenario it's better than indoors, but it's still one set of circumstances. Correct. Mm-hmm. The wind's off the left. Yeah. The wind's off the left for the entire three-hour session. Um, the lie is a flat tee. Um, there's no trouble spooking you out because it doesn't matter if you lose the probe you want. Um, so I think that is... And like, there's also like a long-term element to it because like, this stuff changes for knowing. Like the amount of times I've been fitted for a club and you come back, you particularly with a new drive, and you think, this is the best thing ever. And for like a while it is, and then you sort of, but then you start to understand like where its foibles are, what happens if you hit it out of the neck, what happens when it is cold, and you sort of, doubt creeps in, doesn't it? And I think that that's the only sort of stuff that happens when you've used the golf club for a while. And what feels like the best thing ever at the beginning is perhaps not the best thing ever when you've used it for three months. I think it's sometimes that balance as well, like, what do you want from a new golf club? Like, do you want something you can just walk up with, you've not warmed up, and you know you're going to hit it down the middle? Or do you want something that's optimised the most to, like, go the furthest and hit, like, the best shot? Yeah, and that and that is only only happens on the golf course. And like, I'm, so I'm trying to do fairways this week, and with fairways, obviously there's an awful lot of different uses of a fairway. Like people, some people chip with them, don't they? But... You are, have you I, done any of that this week? I haven't actually. I um, I I don't often use a fairway wood off a tee, so I am broadly speaking looking for something I can hit off the deck as a second shot club. 
that won't be the case for everybody. Um, so different clubs perform well in different environments. But to your point, Hannah, I think that's like absolutely spot on. It's like for, for your most golfers, clubs are an everyday thing or they're a, something that you use a lot. They're not going to um, be changing thing conditions. And the thing that is getting your optimal performance on a track man is not necessarily the thing that's getting your optimal performance every Saturday. We're nodding again then. You are nodding again, yeah. I'm now pondering it in my brain. Are you? <laughs> so I think that some, but I think some on course testing this week. What I would like to do with my written reviews is come back to them in when I've used stuff for three months and say I've now used this for a bit longer and it stood the test of time or we've fallen out and we're getting divorced. We might have to get you a thicker notepad. You're going to run out of pages. Yeah. I can never find my notepad either. That is a problem for me. There's been a crisis of this trip. Where is Tom's notepad? Mm. And why has he not written notes on the, yeah, every golf club he's hit? Why is he where so, is the notes? Why is he so worried about the notepad when he doesn't write anything in it when he has it? Yeah. And then after we've done the on-course testing, we're then going to shoot a load of video for YouTube. Yeah, now our videographer's finally arrived. This flight was cancelled. Yeah, that means we can go play with the clubs on the course more, doesn't it? Had to fly into a different airport. Yeah. There was some trauma with the hire car that we won't go into there has been, that it hasn't been without its issues has it let's face it we've crashed the car once Michael's flight was cancelled sorry sorry we've crashed you the crashed car the once car. you pulled your car uh, could I just say that the, the, the car crashing was definitely your fault because you were navigating you took we the wrong exit I took the wrong exit because that <laughs> Jack didn't tell me the right exit and they decided to turn around and a big pile of rocks beached the car off the side <laughs> of the road hmm. anyway Anyway, um, so the reason we're trying to do all this um, with such urgency is because all of the new products is launched in January, January February time. Mainly January, because they hate us. Because they hate us, yeah. So and they don't want us to have a Christmas holiday. For some reason, golf brands really hate golf journalists, so they don't want us to be able to enjoy Christmas. Do you want to know why that actually is? Go on, then. Go on. It's actually to do with big Ameri- American like retailers and their pre-books. Because basically, releasing stuff that early in January, loads of people pre-order them and it basically pays for the January month when no one's buying anything. So that's why we don't get Christmas holiday. Interesting. Right. So what about Orlando? Do they not do lots of pre-books in Orlando at the PGA show? Is that not a thing anymore? Well, they have to be launched by then, don't they? For people enough. to pre-book it. But even if they waited and launched it the third week of January, that would be better for Christmas, wouldn't it? I suppose they're not really considering my kids' Christmas when they're planning their launch. Like I don't think they're worried about you it's or not, me. Not a factor. No. Um, but that launch cycle thing is sort of relevant, isn't it? Because a number of brands are on one-year launch cycle, new driver, new yep. driver, new driver. Titleist, I think, is still on two years, are they? Yep, and Ping. Ping, Ping is still on two years. Titleist are on two years, but they kind of do the split launch. So like, they obviously launched TSR last year, but without the one model that they had in the previous range. Okay. So they have kind of this like summer, winter kind yeah. of launch of split things. Yeah, like an upgrade to an autobiography where they just want a bit more so you have to go and buy a new one. <laughs> Why do they do that? Just to keep? I think it's just to keep the timings of when the last one came out. So like they've already said the one model's coming for consistency because they did, wanted people to know. Yeah. I think last time they when they launched TSI, they launched two and three and didn't kind of tell anyone that these four and one models were coming, which were like, the low club head speed and then like the low spin. Yeah. And people got a bit annoyed because some of them bought a two or a three and then thought the other ones would be better for them. Right. So this time they launched two, three and four at the same time, but they've kept the one in the two year cycle from when the last one was just so they have the same amount of time to like keep developing the tech. Fair enough. Um, so Ping are on two years. Yep. Tyler's are on two years. Callaway yep. TaylorMade brought on one, one year. year. Cleveland. Don't know. Wilson. Um, Variable. I want to say, I feel like it's all a bit weird at the moment because of COVID. Yeah. Changed some people's plans. So like a lot of stuff that typically launched in summer ended up in like autumn or January and it's kind of restructured people a bit. So let's say like ping a two year, but they don't normally go in Jan. Like they're normally a summer thing. That's we were, a good point. We were literally meant to get the G425 in like the summer of COVID. Oh, is that right? I was about to go on the press trip. Yeah. And then it obviously all got cancelled. Well, that was the thing at the time where a lot of the other brands just carried on, launched yeah. their products anyway and Ping didn't, which meant they didn't have a launch for three years, I think. 
Yeah. I mean, some of it depends on like a lot of the factories where they build the club heads are in China. Mm. So it depends on their lockdowns. Like even now, like the reason we've had some delays on getting samples for this trip is because China has a zero policy on COVID cases. So some of the factories, certainly enough for Callaway, were shut down. So their samples have been delayed a few weeks. Right. Um, and then Cobra, what are they? They're a year as well, are they? Yeah. Yeah. So, and people get cross, don't they? People get really cross about new golf clubs. Triggered, I think, is the word, isn't it? <laughs> I don't get it. Like, you don't have to buy one. It's almost like you're mean people's faces when they hear new products coming out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, everyone did used to have a two-year cycle, though, wasn't it? Wasn't it more common than, and it was sort of fairly recently where TaylorMade and Callaway just pumped stuff out every year. So Callaway have this like two year cycle, but it's slightly different. So take drivers out of it, but like Fairway Woods hybrids, how they do it is they alternate. So one year, everything's fixed heads. So there's no adjustable hosels in like the Fairway Woods and the hybrids. Yeah. And that means they're taking weight out of the hosel. They can move it into more optimal places. Like the CG thing can be different and the performance is different. So if you are not someone who requires to be able to change your loft or change the lie angle and stuff like that, and you want more of the like low CG, higher launch, easier to hit, you've got that option. And then the second year, they're adjustable. So there is almost like a two year split in a one year cycle, product cycle. Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you think, we'll sort of get back to the uh, grumblings about launch cycles, what do you think about adjustability? Like, so this week it's been hugely advantageous as like yeah. a sort of I'm a, a layman's fitting tool, no offense, chat. <laughs> Uh, but it's but it is, isn't it? Because like we yeah. can see the data, we can see we need to launch it more. We can jack the loft up. We know that's going to um, close the club phase, so we kind of understand like enough to um, to use it effectively. But as a golfer, so if this week we're in our testing clothes, when you go back to being a golfer, I don't mess about with the loft or the lie angle when I'm playing. I just is what it is. I tweak mine a bit sometimes. Do you? I do as well. If I want it to fly a bit lower, if I think, oh God, I'm hitting it really far right this week, I'll just bring it a bit left. Do you actually do that? Yeah. I, I would do it more for course condition, or what, depending on where I was going to play. So if I was going to America where it's soft, yeah, I would add loft and hit it as hard as I could. If I was going to play hillside, I would peg it right down and just run it along the ground. The I have way. gone as far as changing to a different lofted club head before because I knew I was going to links and I needed to hit it low. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well that's, yeah, fair enough. So I, don't, I, guess, I, don't, I, don't, I don't I don't change it week to week because I'm hooking it one day. Well, I remember one year when I was going to America and I took my two iron out and put a five wood in or something and Lentum was taking the piss out of me because I was adjusting my setup for cause condition. Mm. But I, I guess, let's say I'm the, the layest layman here and I'm the least the average gym. least elite uh, for people I'm not I'm not, I'm not certain I'm going to go least elite uh, average Tom I mean I'm an athlete right but the um, but I I would say that for most club golfers surely they're not messing around yeah I, I lofts and I actually think that what Callaway do is quite good because generally you could almost if you went for a proper fitting yeah you could try all the lofts try all the shafts and then order the glued head and that's the right club for you and I think for, that's for, the problem though isn't it like everyone should go and get fit and they're not yeah but even if would people go and get fitted for something with a uh, adjustable uh, head and then they might change the goal for every period of time yeah, yeah. I definitely have seen that would they ever then think oh it's, I don't need to buy a new product I just need to adjust the head or go back to my pro would the pro ever say don't hopefully, buy a new one, just adjust the head. Hopefully Jack well, tells people that. I've seen people go for a fitting, come back and decide that what they've been told professionally was incorrect, change the loft, and then fall out with the driver. Yeah. It's pretty... Uh, you, I actually think people, the average toms of us of the world, would be better off with glued heads. So that what they get is what they get, and that's way better. Yeah, I mean, and so the loft thing, right enough. The weight thing that slides around... Yeah. Just something to pick grass out of, isn't it? I think you're sceptical <laughs> at best about that. Not sceptical about it. I'm sure it works. Like, it definitely works. But I don't know I'm going to be doing that much. I certainly don't think you're changing that day to day. You wouldn't think. What do you think? I think it's just for fine-tuning. I think it depends on the player, doesn't it? I think probably for general club golfers it's not really needed, is it? 
You don't quite say that, do you? Worried about saying it, aren't you? I did just say it. You said I'm it really quietly, it. though. I'm going to crop it out in the edit, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it always depends. There's never an answer, is there? It just depends on the player. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Which is what I'm, I thought. So you are, you are, I think, both making the point that the adjustability is really good and you would use it. I'm sort of saying I'm not sure I would, but then I don't use anything. Like, I've got a car with like unbelievable amounts of tech in that I've never even bothered to open the manual. I haven't got a manual, the manual's in the car. <laughs> How clever it is. Um, so that, that, I think, is a thing. But people do get triggered by this launch cycle thing, don't they? And you think that's not fair. I don't get it. Like, you don't have to... If you just bought the Stealth, you don't have to buy the new driver next year. But if you just bought the Stealth and in five years you have to buy a new one and you can just buy a new Stealth, you're not going to be very impressed, are you? Like you want something new. How often do people change drivers? Do you know? I don't know. When I didn't work in the industry, I'd change my irons like every five years. Maybe my driver like every three or four. Five years? I mean, that literally means you've only ever had, like, two sets of irons before you worked My out. irons were bad when I arrived here. <laughs> like, <laughs> you've grown up, you've grown, outgrown one set. I had Mizuno MP20s. Did you? Did you? play it? Wow. They that that explains a lot, doesn't it? What were the lofts like battered. on those? They were weak lofted, were they? I just strengthened them so they'd go really far, because that's how it works, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly how it works. You use the inbuilt adjustability in those forged heads. <laughs> I did use them for five years, but I was also a student for three years of that, so... Uh, okay, so you're pleading a poverty argument here. Yeah. I um, used to be a Mizuno man back in the day. I had TP9s, TP5s, TP19s. I had Mizuno MP20s and then Titleist 915 Woods. That was a great what's in the bag set personally, I think. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? The driver went so far because I'd just worn the face out completely. It was definitely illegal. What driver was it? Titleist 915. Yeah, yeah. I, I had that. That was such a good driver. Won it. I, yeah, I Which I is interesting, right? Because I went, got fit for that, and honest to God, for the first four to six weeks, I had it. I hated it. Right. I could not hit it. I changed every single setting on the adjustable hosel. Finally got Finally got it somewhere I could use it, and then after that, I loved it for like five years. So. Might not you might not always love your drive when you first take out on the golf course. Well, that's what I was trying to say earlier. But I did get that fitted on a driving range with a range ball, so maybe that's why. Some th- <laughs> some things are better than knowing. But I think you've got a point about the launch cycle thing because it's not a car, is it? There's one thing. So I don't know how how long people own a car for, but like leases and stuff are like three or four years. So let's say people own them for like that long. Yeah. But cars are really expensive. Mm-hmm. Golf clubs are expensive for golf clubs, but they're not as expensive as cars. So it sort of makes sense that you'd be buying one more frequently than a car, I guess. Although you don't really need a golf club in the same way that you need a car. I don't think it's a great analogy, maybe, with hindsight. I think it depends on the per. You know, so my dad is obsessed with distance. Yeah. So if he gets at all a sniff of the fact that he might get five more yards, sort of price is irrelevant. But I think Hannah, Hannah made a really good point when she was saying this the other day when we were just chatting about it, is that you don't have to buy it. and it, But if, if you are in the market for a driver at the time of a launch, that's really good and exciting and positive. Yeah, thing. and you want the best thing they have. Yeah. You don't have to think, oh, I want a driver now. But that one's and then one you have to old. buy one from three years ago. Yeah. And then six months later, a new one comes out. And you think, oh, I could have had that. So there's a strong argument that the sort of the frequency of launch is sort of perceived as greed or whatever on behalf of the brands. There's a strong argument actually that it, the the frequency of launch is actually inconsequential because and also I think it's quite good because if TaylorMade bring one out every year, you're getting tech that's only a year old for half the price every year. Yeah. Whereas if they had a two year cycle, true. Yeah. That last year's drive was only half an in price every two years. Yeah, it's a bit like that Ricky Gervais thing, isn't it, about um, social media? Like you don't go, you don't ring up someone advertising for guitar lessons and say. But don't want guitar lessons. Like you don't have to buy it, do you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm with you on that. And also, what would you do, frankly, if they didn't launch quite so frequently? Oh no! Should I'd... probably practice a lot more. Play that more good. Maybe my golf swing would be better. Maybe I could hit my left axis a bit more. That's one. Of, that's one of the challenges that we haven't talked about of testing, is uh, after a few bad shots, how quickly you spiral into out of control. 
thinking about your golf swing. Tactics. Jack's decided I've done too many driver fins and I'm too optimised to hit a driver. You do hit driver really, really well. But nine irons are not so well. Yeah. Hmm. I'm good with thin nine irons. It's just because they're so. Um, so I think we've tried really hard to do it properly. Yep. It's been a huge effort of getting the kit here, getting the facilities right, getting the technology right, managing the weather, managing our own golf games. We're trying to be as transparent as possible about the process that we've gone through. Every single piece of data that we think is fit for public consumption <laughs> and everything we've thought and found out about the golf clubs will be available on our website in January on the whistle. So it will be the place to go for on the whistle reviews of this new product. And the Hannah Holden YouTube channel will have what videos are you shooting? Lots of driver and game improvement iron reviews and some best ofs when the final bits of the jigsaw puzzle arrive. And you I guess just for context, you have obviously been through this cycle. This is like your fourth or fifth year of doing this, isn't it? Yes. Is right? When my first one was 2020. Yeah. Okay. What, COVID? Third yeah. Year, third year. Well, no, it was pre-COVID. Yeah. So you've seen um, pre last year's iterations, last year's models. Um, so you've got some, you'll have some good comparison videos of what the 2022 driver's like versus the 2023 driver or 2023 versus 2021. Yep. And that will be all available in video on our YouTube channel. Correct. As well as on the website. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this whole scenario we find ourselves in? I don't think so. I think, um, I think it's going quite well, considering everything. Jack is the most upbeat person on the planet is what we found this week. He kind of is, but he's also very past remarkable, isn't he? Sort of because he says, I can't believe how into out you are with a big smile on his face. You sort of, think, <laughs> you sort of take it. <laughs> I just like to know what everyone's doing. And what we, still everyone's... Don't, we still don't know what his uh, love language is, do we? No, we don't. I'll do the test if you want. We could podcast about that on another day. I think he likes gifts. Definitely don't like gifts. Um, are you going to see us out? Do you have to do that bit where you tell people to subscribe and stuff? I think they've already clicked subscribe. Okay. <laughs> Don't need to sell it. It's a given. Yeah, definitely subscribe. Okay, we better get back to the range. Back to the range. Put your waterproofs on.